Expression is one of the most powerful tools we have. A voice, a pen, a keyboard. The real change which must give to people throughout the world their human rights must come about in the hearts of people. We must want our fellow human beings to have rights and freedoms which give them dignity. Article 19 is the voice in the room. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Article 19. This is a podcast rooted in the firm belief that access to information is a human right. Here, we offer conversations and interviews to create awareness, empathy, and expertise around the intersection of technology and inclusivity. We're here to discover, grow, and share some laughs together. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Article 19. This is Kristen Waitucky, Tamman content creator, author, and co-host of today's discussion. Tamman is all about accessibility champions, and we're so proud of every single person who is part of our team. We're a company made up of individuals, and we're all about individuality within that common cause of accessibility. To introduce the people on the podcast, we're doing a Meet the Crew series, but today's episode is really special. I have a very motley crew here with me, so... First up is my co-host, Marty Malloy. Hey, Marty. Thanks for coming. I'm <laughs> so excited about today's conversation. Yeah. I just and Marcus and Harper are behind the mic, helping all of this to run smoothly. And our primary guest today is one of Tamman's co-founders. You've heard from the other one recently, Mike Mangos, and now we're going to hear from the one who is carrying the weight of the company, literally, Jeff Tamburino. And we are so happy to have you today. Welcome to the pod. Thanks for taking time to be with us. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be on. And just for those who don't know, we actually call him JT. And the reason for that is there's another Jeff and, you know, his initials just lend themselves to a nickname. So if you hear us talking about JT, that's who we're talking about. Anyway, I'd like to start this. So this is a first thing in the morning recording, which is not normal for us. So we're adapting and overcoming. I'm using a screen reader instead of Braille. Like, all this is weird. So we're calling this a coffee clutch with JT. What are the beverages that people have right now? Well, I am always and forever 100% coffee. And that will be coffee in the morning. That'll be coffee around noon or so. And that will be coffee in the evening. So this is an appropriately named episode. All right, good. I won't ask about your sleep. We'll save that for another one. How about you, JT? What are you drinking? I'm also drinking coffee. This is my one cup a day. It's basically an espresso with water added to it, which is, I believe, called an Americano with a little bit of cinnamon in it and some half and half, and I'm good to go. That's perfect. So I meant to make a latte, especially for this episode, but... I have a cold and I'm going on water for now. So now on to the real questions. How would you describe kind of a very brief snapshot, JT, of your background, your history, how you got here and where we are? Okay. I started out, I had an interest in, I actually went to school for art, believe it or not, advertising and design. You know, I saw that as a path forward as a starving artist and started working part-time in computers as a computer operator and started getting interested in technology at the same time. And I came to a fork where I had to decide, is it going to be art or is it going to be technology? And at the time, technology was going to pay the bills. So I made the choice to go with technology and that led to other opportunities in tech doing computer support, basically, which kind of taught me how to support all different kinds of people across different 
you know, businesses, small businesses. I did end up starting out at a very large enterprise, which gave me a background in supporting everyone from, you know, admin secretaries up to executives, which gave me a big, broad experience in, you know, relationships and people and supporting different types of people. And that led to a little bit of consulting that I did for a few years, which was, you know, similar. You get a lot of different experiences in a lot of different environments, which kind of opens up your thought process to all the different types of challenges that are out there with different personalities and different business goals. And that kind of really gave me a nice background to lead into what I'm doing now, which is basically supporting people, both internally and external clients as well. So that's kind of a synopsis of a background to get to where I am now. What inspired you to start your own company with Mike? There was just so much work in front of me and so many opportunities. And, you know, honestly, I'm like, there's only so many hours in the day that I can accomplish this. I need help. You know, I had worked with Mike before just as friends trading business back and forth. He was mm -hmm. one of the smartest people I knew. Yeah. And I'm like, if I'm going to do something, that's the guy I want to have at my side. And, you know, one thing led to another. And I basically convinced him to start Tamman because of the work that was in front of us. And he helped lay down that groundwork for us to be as, you know, stable and have the ability to scale from the very start. You know, we started the company with employee number three right away and then quickly ramped up from there to handle the work. And it was just a great experience to have a partner, have your back, and you're both on the same trajectory to where we were headed. JT, I'm curious, something I don't think I've ever asked either of you, and I've known both of you for a long time, Tamman's values, they became explicit later on, but the two of you were friendly competitors. You come together, were the values of the company, the core values, the things that just, you know, you operated with, the way that you both decided Tamman would act and treat people with and everything. Was that explicitly talked about or was that just something that sort of evolved? It evolved, but I think in the very beginning, we both felt that if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. And that was where the whole, like that initial quality conversation came from. Plus Mike was in Japan for a year. So he came back with a very Zen mentality and a very thoughtful and, you know, he, he had a lot of values as far as in his personal life that he brought forward and we discussed together. And it's like, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. You know, we're going to do it with the right reasons and we're going to create a company where people are actually going to want to work here. And that's what's going to draw them. And it wasn't about profit margin and, you know, how fast we can grow. It was like, if we can do this right and get people to really want to work here, that's success for us. And that kind of carried us into all the other values going forward. So can I dig in on that one second? Sure. First? Yeah. And with you, JT. So you mentioned not being motivated by profit, which I can tell you as, again, someone who was there at the beginning was sadly true at many, many times, but that mentality has stayed. But I'm curious, like when the reality of the world comes and hits and you've got bills to pay and everything else, I mean, you and Mike really were investing in the company from the very, very beginning. Did you ever have moments where you're like, you know what, maybe we need to focus this in a different way? Like, how do you handle those moments where when you, you maybe want to be rewarded for building something but you know you still, the values of the company we're investing it in. I think, you know, we proved to ourselves early on, like if you're doing it right and, you know, you're leading clients, you know, in the beginning we were, you know, small business consultants. We had hundreds of clients on the IT side and we all treated them equally. We made our decisions and we consulted as if they were all our businesses. 
And if you do that and you do it the right way, the money washes out at the end. Like you will retain the clients that you need to retain. You will get the business that you need to get. And at the end of the day, the numbers work for us, you know, and, and the profits there because we did it the right way. There's no cheat code to getting there. Even when it's hard and things are tight, you still have to do it the right way. Yeah, and the right way can mean so many different things for the clients you serve and for the employees who are working with you and for you, like your family, you individually. So that's a lot of different points of view to mesh together. There are some tough conversations for sure. You know, the hardest conversations are when you're trying to convince a client of something that they don't understand and they don't think they want. And you have to sit down with them and explain, like, here's the reasoning behind our point of view here. And sometimes they bought it and sometimes they didn't. And when they didn't, we just moved on, you know, but we weren't going to do it any other way. That's really admirable. And certainly one of the reasons that I'm now here with us today is the second newest employee. And before we leave the past and kind of look ahead into the future, what was your accessibility background before accessibility became the mission? That's a good question. I think, you know, when we talk about accessibility and inclusion, like you hear those two words together all the time because they're very similar to what the goal is. The goal is to treat everybody the same, basically. You know, people with disabilities need to not be discriminated against. My background serving so many different personalities and so many different levels of people within the enterprise and within small business kind of got my mindset already in that thinking of treating everybody equally. So that jump to accessibility where we're like, hey, this is a thing. We should do this. It's good. Was pretty easy for me. It was kind of a smooth transition to go from business sense thinking we should treat everybody equally to like, we should just treat everybody equally across the board. Mm -hmm. That's going to be our mission going forward. It wasn't much of a jump to get to that mentality for me personally, because mm -hmm. I was already acting that way. I was already thinking that way. We read in many places that mindset is really the biggest hurdle for people. So if you already have a lot of the mindset initially, then it's just learning the skills to catch up with it. So Yeah, exactly. Do you have any specialties in digital accessibility at this point? I think at this point, it falls back to my level of empathy for people. That's my superpower. Like yes. every situation, you know, every relationship, every new client that we talk to, I immediately go into like thinking I'm on their side of the fence you know, and what are their challenges and what are their pain points? You know, that's my biggest first question is like, what are your pain points? And I can get into that mentality of feeling what they are feeling, which allows me to come forward with solutions and approaches that really hit the mark a lot of times. You know, I would say that's as far as digital accessibility, you know, having that level of empathy is a really big part of being successful in what we do. Can you say a little more about the pain points that many people have? Because I think some people who are listening to this podcast may be at the very beginning of their accessibility journey. Like, how do you address those? That's a good question. I think people without disabilities have a hard time understanding the breadth of this challenge. I don't think they understand the volume and the amount of people, percentage-wise, that are struggling with some kind of disability, whether it's physical, mental, whatever. Being able to communicate with them the people that are non-disabled and that have to make business decisions and educate them on why this is such a big deal and why it's important, 
getting their mindset in the right place to achieve a goal that we all want to work towards is the biggest challenge. Some people just don't think about it. They don't know anything about it. They see people with disabilities and they put them in a box and they treat them differently. And that's a mindset that we need to just change across the board. And we are, and we're making those inroads and people are realizing, oh, well, you know what? People with disabilities are just like everybody else. They just need some help. They need some tools to be able to get through life and get through their day the same way as everybody else. It's a pretty simple thing to explain, but it's really hard to get people's hearts to change and open up and allow different points of view and acceptance to come in. And that's kind of the biggest challenge we have. Are there any trends in accessibility, especially in the last couple of years, that you've noticed either positive or negative? Yeah, I mean, technology is amazing, right? It's so, you know, mind-boggling where we have come with applying technology and tools to solve this problem. So there's all kinds of things that are good and bad that people are trying to solve this problem with. But I think obviously artificial intelligence is a huge hot topic right now. And I I can't imagine that not transforming the tools that we are using to solve some of these problems. So I'm kind of super excited about that. You know, I'm kind of a geek at heart. So I'm always looking for the latest thing that's going to make everybody more efficient. I know everybody's kind of scared. People are going to lose their jobs. And I don't see that. I see it as, as an evolution of people leveraging that technology to make their lives better and more effective and more efficient. You know, that's one of the positives I see. The negatives are we're still running into the challenge of convincing the people with the money making the decisions to fund and support this effort. That's been like that for the last six years that we've been in this business and continues to be. But little by little, we're making progress in getting them to buy in and basically support this effort in making everything accessible. I agree with you, Jeff, on the awareness building side of things that I think that continues to be a bugaboo for the entire industry. We have another episode that folks can go back and listen to, Kristen, we were talking, and I don't know about you, but I've been sitting with the words that Kara Galrup of the University of Pennsylvania gave us. When I asked her that question, you know, kind of in a a similar but different way, like around awareness, and she said that we've been talking about inclusion too much, and inclusion can mean too many things to too many people. And for her, she said, I think we need to start from a place of exclusion. I was very intrigued by this. And I said, you know, tell tell me more, you know, and and everything else. And she said, you know, when you talk about inclusion, everybody can feel good about that. And they can say, yeah, you know, like I want to be included. I have moments. But when you talk about exclusion, everyone, no matter who they are, whatever their use constraint might be, temporary, situational, episodic, whatever, everybody has that visceral moment of feeling excluded. And so Jeff, when you talk about empathy, and then we talk about that feeling, whether it was middle school and not getting picked for the team, or whether it was, you know, your friends who just, whatever that is, like, I can feel that pain right now. And when you put that there, I've been blown away. I've been sitting with that from Kara for a while. And I think it's something that we're going to have to think through, not only as Tamman, but as an industry of like, ooh, this feels like a uranium that we have to be careful with, you know, but at the same time, I think it's a really powerful emotional tie-in to digital accessibility and everything else that we're trying to do. The other thing that you said that I think is really, really important, and I want you to dig in on this a little bit, which is on the negatives, when we're talking about awareness, I see one other thing. And you talked about how you and Mike started this company focused in, you know, with the right things and people over profits and things like that and everything else. And unfortunately, we see overlays coming out 
as sort of this easy path. And I think it only happens because there's a lack of awareness. And Chris and I have done a lot of work that people can go check out on Tamanink.com, videos and things of like, they don't work. <laughs> and people are being hoodwinked. What are your thoughts around overlays and how people are taking the easy road instead of, you know, honestly, doing the hard work of making the web and all digital assets a lot more accessible? I think, you know, overlays are a response to, you know, trying to solve a pain point quickly. And sometimes business decisions are made based on numbers only. And like, we have this much money that we can put towards this problem. How can we use that the most efficiently? And that's driven by, you know, unfortunately, and this is another negative, is, is a lot of these efforts are driven because they're trying to mark off a checklist. They're trying to address risk. Like we're going to get sued. So we have to do a thing that says that we did a thing so we don't get, you know, in this position. And that's the quick, dirty answer are overlays. The harder, more thoughtful, more long-term thinking and more strategic is approaching it completely differently. So overlays are a band-aid and they can work in certain instances for a little bit, but eventually you got to cure that wound. You have to fix what's underneath that. They're the quick solution when people are just trying to make it go away. And again, that goes back to changing the way people are thinking about approaching this problem, you know, and once they're more educated and more informed about longer term solutions that are going to be more robust and last longer, yeah, that investment up front costs more, but it pays off in the long term. And I think that's another part that Mike and I always came at every decision with a long-term view. You know, it was never about the short-term money. It was never about the short-term budget for this year. It's like, what are these decisions going to mean for us going forward year three, year five? And as people start thinking that way, and we can make people understand that this is not a quick fix. This is an ongoing long-term thing that you need to solve. We will shift away from those tools and those overlays. I love that. And I love that you're coming at it from the long-term view can enable the client to do that and enable them to trust your thinking as, you know, not just here for the quick fix, but really here for you in the whole trajectory of your company. So that's really yep. cool. So looking ahead to all the great things Tamron is doing, what are you most excited about that you'd like to talk about? It was that last caveat, Kristen, that just got in there because I know there's a lot that he wants to talk about that I, I know. Talk there's, about. There's, a lot, there's a lot going on. I will tell you that I am most excited about seeing so many people paddling the same way at the same time. Like everybody is thinking the same way about what we're trying to accomplish. You know, when you have a company of people that are all on the same path and all on the same page, and you know, I know that's overused as a term, but man, can you make progress? And it's exciting to feel that. You know, we talk about, you know, everybody, you know, you, you opened up saying, you know, all of this is on my shoulders. It really isn't. We've intentionally created a distributed leadership model where executive decisions are made by teams and by everybody contributing their ideas. And it, it's kind of taken some of that pressure off of me. Yeah. At the end of the day, I have to sign the thing that spends the money to do a thing, right? That's my job, right? I have to, I yeah. have to take everybody's information and make a decision, you know, when push comes to shove, but in operations daily, you know, day to day, week to week, month to month, we have this huge team of people that are helping push this company forward. And that effort is shared across the board. I'm super excited about seeing, putting that into play and watching the results of that happen, you know, on the daily, we just are making progress. And it's just because we have so many great people all thinking alike. 
And that's really got me excited. You know, when everybody's paddling the same way, I mean, you can really make progress. We can move some mountains, I think. That's a real difference though, Jeff. I mean, that distributed leadership model that you've put in place, that is a difference from when you had the partnership. And frankly, we're a much, much smaller company to where we are now. You sound very excited about it, but was that shift to let go, you know, and allow people to take on leadership and decision-making responsibilities and roles? I mean, as sort of the owner of the company, that's a risky move to make. How's that been from an emotional standpoint? It's my personality coming out, right? It's who I am. I don't have a huge ego. I'm not concerned about being the, you know, the smartest guy in the room. Like I know we have found and built this team up with amazing talent. Why would I want to thwart any of that or color any of that talent? I want to let those people go and, and do what they're capable of. I don't feel any type of like, oh, I, I wish I was the one making you know all of those smart decisions. I feel good about supporting people making those decisions and making progress. And I just don't put my own personal successes. You know, That's my success, seeing people be successful. And I think it's just the way I think about and have always thought about building the company. It sounds risky to distribute your leadership like that, but to me, the outcome and the results speak for themselves, you know, and what we've been able to accomplish speaks for itself. So it's easier than it looks, I think, just because it's part of who I am. It's part of my personality. It feels comfortable to me to operate like that. Are there any projects or initiatives coming up that Tamman is working on that you would like to share with the audience? There are some things happening that we are close to closing. Some things, obviously, we you know we have some new clients that have just unbelievable opportunities to help them out, and we're in the middle of discussions with a couple different situations, which I can't really yep, talk yep. about until they're official. As soon as those things come together, we will make them public and talk about them. Don't let them on the hook, Kristen. You got them on the rope. Keep going. <laughs> no, I can't. I, because, you know, like, it's, you know, things tend to go sideways sometimes. And, and yes. you know, I would hate to have to backtrack. And... We should come back at 1130 and have the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the update. We can also just remove that question from the... <laughs> No, no, my goodness, no. But I think the key is, Jeff, when we have some of these exciting things happen at Tamman, you'll come back on the pod just to talk about those, I hope, right? We have to. We're almost 60 people at this point, and we are at an inflection point. The company is at an inflection point where we have the opportunity to really accelerate our footprint in the industry and in the community. And that's the present, like that's happening as we speak. So it's super exciting to be where we're at. You know, it was kind of a grind to get to this point, but I think the next step for the company is going to go very quickly and be very exciting. That's where we're headed. Well, we have gotten mostly through some of the professional questions. Did you have any final questions, Marty, before we go into fun stuff? Oh, I have not, some. Not that work's not fun, though. <laughs> work might be the most fun. What I think is important is for anyone listening, and I hope that it's a broad swath of people, not only people that are connected to Tamin through the pod, but also, you know, our, our employees, you know, because one of the things that Jeff and I've, I've very much adopted this with him is... We've talked a lot about clients on this call. And one of the management tools that, or I don't know if it's a tool, that's not a right way to say that. One of the management ideas that I think complements the distributive leadership that Jeff has really laid the groundwork for at Tamman and, and sort of transformed Tamman with is this idea and hearing him say it before of that his client, the thing that he wakes up thinking about are the people at Tamman. And if he empowers the people at Tamman, 
then they are the ones who will then go out and serve and consult and do the things they need to do with clients. And I, I don't think that's normal for leaders in companies, especially so in companies that have they've grown. So Jeff, I'm kind of stealing your thunder with that. But do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like, again, it goes back to people, but I've heard you say that they are my client. You know, they meaning our employees, the whole TAM and team are who you focus on, knowing that then they will deliver. But I just, I just think that that's really unique. Do you want to say anything about that? Yeah, I mean, look, that's an old concept of like, server leadership, you know, your leader serves your people. And I think it's a concept that lends itself to success, you know, because people feel empowered and they feel supported. You know, we talk about that, you know, supported people, support people well. And it's true. Like if, if you know your company has your back, you're going to put all of your effort into your day and the outcome speaks for itself. The better I support people and the better I make people feel good about their work, the outcome just happens. I mean, that's just a natural outcome of that approach that has been really successful. I know I felt that way when I worked for other people and I felt appreciated and supported. I would want to work harder and I would want to do well and I would you know, want to do better for the clients that I work for. So to me, it's kind of a no brainer. It may be somewhat unique, but I think that mentality is shifting in the industry overall. I think the pandemic really made people think differently about work-life balance. And, you know, I remember seeing all of the articles, you know, I read a lot of business articles and, and approaches to businesses. I remember all the articles talking about how, you know, we really need to start supporting people and thinking about them, you know, on their level. And I was like, we do this already. Like, that's how we've been doing this before pre-pandemic. And it was like, all of a sudden the pandemic woke up this thought process of like, yeah, we should support our people better. It's like, duh, like, of course you should. That's why it was such a smooth transition for us, you know, through that pandemic and through going remote, because we really didn't have to change anything. You know, we were already doing all the right things for the people and supporting them. And it just proved out when we didn't miss a beat, you know, switching to a remote company, why that concept of supporting people and serving them as leaders to do their jobs was so successful. I mean, it was like, yeah, this is working. And, uh, you know, it was kind of an easy transition for us. So, yeah, it may be unique, but I think it's getting more common to find that work-life balance, to support the people that work, you know, within the company as best you can and really walk the walk. So I guess I don't see it being, you know, that crazy of a process or that unique. Well, one way you described it to me when we had our intro conversation was that your job is to remove barriers for employees so that they can do their best work. I love that. Just that idea of like knocking down the walls, you know? Yeah. Like, let me get those pain points out of your way so you can be comfortable doing what you do. And, you know, that came from my whole support background of supporting people. And just, I was the guy that fixed stuff. And when things weren't working right, I would go in and, and make them work for you and your day would get better. That's all I needed to do to make myself happy. Like that yeah. was good for me. That's a great tagline for Tamman someday. <laughs> and we want to simplify everything. And we, we've got, you know, all these things, Tamman. We fix stuff. Like I, fix, I love it. We fix, or we don't do peanut butter. <laughs> or we don't do peanut butter, which is a whole nother story, but. Awesome. All right, Kristen, what do we have for our guests today in terms of uh, other questions, personal? So the first question is, if you have a life outside of Tamman, what is the most adventurous thing you've ever done? And was it a success or an epic fail? So back in the day, this was early on when I had free time. I was a gamer. I used to play COD, Call of Duty. 
with a bunch of guys and you know you form relationships you're online you got your headset you're talking to these people and we played for a few years and it was the same guys all the time you know we had a clan you know this sounds terribly geeky but these guys were all across the country and i think somebody was in mexico and somebody was in canada and one year i said look i'm going to invite everybody to my house and we planned this for like six months and everybody thought I was crazy. Like, you're going to invite these strangers to your house? I'm like, yeah, you don't understand. Like, we've been creating these relationships for three years now. I know these guys. And sure enough, you know, the time came and I had, I believe, 12 guys in my house with their families and their kids all came and we had a giant picnic, giant barbecue. We went and played paintball. You know, these guys stayed at my house all weekend. And it was kind of an amazing experience because you talk to people for years and then you get to meet them in person. It was just wonderful to connect like that with people. And it was, you know, it's a big risk. You're inviting strangers from all over the country. And it went amazing. It was a beautiful experience. That was pretty wild. People thought I was crazy for doing it. Yeah. But it was a fantastic experience. And it just people from all walks of life, you know, all colors, all experiences, you know, people with good jobs, people with bad jobs, divorced people. Like it was an interesting mix of personalities and nobody could believe we were doing it, but we all did it. Mm -hmm. We all did it. We all hung out all weekend. And I have, you know, I still have pictures that I go back and look at. It was one of those things that was kind of a risky thing to try to pull off, but it was amazing. It was an amazing time. Yeah, I see Mark is saying, wow. <laughs> I mean, I've never done that on that kind of scale, but I've definitely met people that I've just met online and I'm like, yeah, it's going to be fun, you know, no problem. And honestly, I mean, the retreat that we're having in November is not going to be that far off, except that it's not at your house. But, right. you know, we're all flying in, riding in from everywhere to go to this gathering. Of yeah, the I mean, that's a great segue. I mean, the retreat is an example of, you know, you talk to people on Zoom, you talk to people, you know, on the phone for long periods of time, but you really don't, until you shake their hand and you look in their eye, you don't get that connection with people just being in person and seeing people's body language and experiencing who they are on multiple levels, not just voice, you make that connection is really powerful. So, and, and that's why we get behind these retreats for the company and bring flying people in, even at the expense that it is. And it's gotten really expensive, but the long-term value in having connections and relationships is priceless. If you could instantly gain a new skill that's outside of the skills you already have, what would you pick? Oh, gosh. I would say music. I have a slight music background. I took piano lessons. I, I never took guitar lessons, but I have multiple guitars sitting around. I would love to be able to just wake up tomorrow and be able to just jam on the guitar. It's such a time investment to get to that level. And, you know, maybe someday when I'm sitting back and retired, I'll be able to pick up the guitar and, you know, spend an hour a day on it. But I would love to be able to have that skill to play music. What are your pleasures in terms of food? Like what's your favorite comfort <laughs> food and what rituals do you have? I love to cook. So I'm, I'm a bit of a foodie, but I have recently been like having to give up some of the things I love, which is like meat and cholesterol, but a nice well-cooked filet sitting on top of some mashed potatoes with some asparagus is my go-to. I just love a good steak. I don't think I've had one in about six months because I'm trying to be good. I will pull that out of my arsenal of cooking eventually, probably around the holidays. But yeah, I love a good piece of steak. When you don't cook it, do you have a favorite steak restaurant? Oh, that's a good question. Hmm. 
I've gotten my style of cooking so down for a steak that no matter where I go, I'm like, yeah, I could do that. Nobody's really done it differently enough where I'm like, I can't reproduce that level of quality, you know, when I cook a steak. So there really isn't one that stands out. They all do it pretty much fantastically, but there's nobody that blows my mind. Additional steak follow-up question. Do you do filet? Do you do T-bone? Do you do flank? Like what's your go-to? Well, I mean, filet is the softest, you know, a good New York strip has the most flavor, but sometimes it's a little chewy depending on what the cut is. But a filet is always like, I could always make a filet perfectly. You know, I've done reverse sears. There's all kinds of ways. You know, my brother's a chef, so he taught me a lot. But I've been yeah. cooking since I was a kid. You know, my mom was like, if you're hungry, get in the kitchen. You know, I'll show you how to do this. And that, now you're on your own, figure it out. And I've taken that with me. I love cooking. Cooking's an art. And I'd like to introduce Article 19 spinoff, Jeff and Cooking. We should definitely do it. I love to cook. I love to cook. I think we have a needed change for this retreat. Like, just <laughs> have your cooking. Everyone has, you know, something surprising or unique about them or a hidden talent. What's something that not everyone might know about you? Well, I think my perception is, you know, obviously, we're, you know, running Tamman and we're always busy. We're in meetings, on all calls all the time. There's a lot of business that happens in my life. But outside of that, I love to work with my hands. I do a ton of stuff. I'm basically my own mechanic. I've done my own brakes. I change my oil. I've fixed stuff that goes wrong with my cars. You know, I do everything around the house, electrical, plumbing, paint. I do a lot of stuff with my hands that I don't think people would realize that I do. So I'm pretty handy. And I just grew up, you know, my dad, would he would fix anything. Like, and he would build anything. Like, he never paid anybody to come and do anything. One, they didn't have the money to do so. But he was just always very, very handy. And I was always that kid, like, holding his tools, watching him do plumbing and electrical and stuff like that. So I just grew up naturally, oh, that's broken? You know, I'll fix it. And with the internet, it made it really easy to learn how to do something you've never done before. So there's never anything that I've approached where I'm like, I've never done that, but I know there's a YouTube video out there and I just would watch videos and follow through. And, you know, sometimes things would go well and sometimes they wouldn't, but the next time I would get it right. You know, I have no fear to get my hands dirty and do stuff with my hands. That's really cool. That's really amazing. I wish I had that talent. And the final question, if Tamman had a billboard in Times Square and you could have a saying on it for 24 hours, what would you choose for your saying? Wow, that's a tough one. I keep coming back to just be kind. You know, be kind today. You know, do something with kindness. You know, it's funny how like little teeny micro transactions of kindness can create a butterfly effect. And I think that's something that, you know, people need to slow down and think about how they're treating other people around them and what those interactions are. So, you know, I think be kind is always a good billboard. And that should be permanent, not 24 hours, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. I think so too. Well, thank you very much, JT, for taking time to talk with us and to share your excitement and your vision for, you know, supporting all of us. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. 
I love talking with you guys. So I'm looking forward to the next installment of the podcast. Yeah, you definitely need to come back with that teaser. Now you have to come back for part two. So, Well, our guest today was Jeff Tamburino, co-hosts Kristen Waitaki and Marty Malloy. Producers are Marcus Goldman and Harper Yaffin. If you like what you heard today and want to explore more about digital accessibility, technology, our company culture, or anything else, schedule a time to meet with us. You can find the whole Tamman team at tammaninc.com. That's T-A-M-M-A-N-I-N-C.com. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter so you never miss an event or an insight from us. Be sure to rate our podcast five stars on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to us. It really helps our podcast grow and reach new audiences. And make sure to follow us, hit the bell icon so you never miss an episode. If social media is more your style, you can also follow us at Tam and Inc. on LinkedIn, Twitter X, whatever that is now, Instagram, or Facebook, and share our podcast on your favorite platform. Until next time, thanks for listening and being part of Article 19. Take care.